Clubhouse. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home. This is Caroline. Hey, Beth. Hey, Caroline. It's season five. Do you believe it? We're back. No. It's here. Season five of Decorating the Set. Beth, I cannot believe we're back for season five already. This time has gone by so fast. We launched this in July 2020 during the COVID outbreak. And now four years later, we're still here. We're stronger than ever. More tips, more advice given out every week. Loving it. During season four, we crossed over 100,000 lifetime downloads. And the podcast has grown its audience season over season. And now, get this, we're appearing in over 30 countries around the world. Beth, I know your life has changed so much over the course of this podcast. Can you believe we're actually back for season five? I really can't because I never thought I would be doing a podcast and here we are internationally known and it's great. It's been keeping me going during a bit of a hiatus because of the strike. Now we're all trying to get back to work and back to season five. So we always discuss our topics for the new season, and we kept hitting on the idea of teams and how important they are in your work. Looking back at our episodes, we've actually talked about your team of collaborators quite a bit. And I know people are wondering, how in the world do you actually build a team when you're trying to create your dream set decorator team? Well, I've been really lucky throughout my career. I've had the longest relationships of any set decorator and crew, uh, at least here that I know of on the East Coast. Many people have worked for me for over 20 years, and I'm only as good as my crew and my vendors, my teamsters, all the people who participate in making the well-oiled machine. So I really take that very seriously. You know, I try to negotiate for not only myself, but my team. I'm lucky enough that they've all stuck with me. As a matter of fact, when I was going to take another job, a few members of my team said, no, we really want to do a horror movie, which was something that I had no experience with. And I changed directions because they said, we don't want to go where you're going. We oh. want to do Insidious 5. And it was the best decision that I made. And they all led me that way. So I take what they contribute very seriously to our quality of life, our quality of work life. And I believe in advocating for my team. If that means going to the grocery store and buying them craft service, I, I've been known to do that. Uh, if it means uh, stepping in when there are production problems, it's something that I consider a part of my job because I can't do my job without them. So Beth, obviously there's loads of benefits to having a team, especially a team that you've worked with time and time again. I can imagine something like communication would be so much better, so much more efficient when you've been working with these people for years. It's true. 
it's really good to have someone with you that knows how you work and what is important to you. And, you know, even just the scheduling and the amount of manpower and where I tend to focus and what's important. I have sort of my way, which I find works. And the fact that they want to join me <laughs> in that and contribute, certainly each individual, I think part of why we're such a good well-oiled machine is because everyone has their aspects sets that they bring to the job. And I take that very seriously. And each person contributes in their way. And it just becomes this kind of magic that happens. Today's guest on the podcast has certainly been one of those people for years on my team. I am very excited to introduce to our listeners this week's guest, Noelle Giddings. Noelle is a longtime collaborator and a member of your team. When you first met Noelle, like what impressed you about her? How, how did you know that she would be someone that you would like to work with? I think it was more a personality thing than really seeing her work. We met in a social setting and we just started talking and we related on so many different levels. I didn't actually know that she would be the perfect person to create cleared art for the last, I don't know, 15 years of, of my work life. But we both had similar backgrounds and how we came to it was very, very comfortable and personable. It is a rare thing that I find someone that I can relate to really very strongly on a visual level that made a big difference. And we sort of had a built-in trust when we started working together. How rare and wonderful that you have that relationship with her. I know that this interview is very special because to me, you guys shared so many tips and, and great career advice for people who want to get into the industry and just generally really good practices, best practices, I would say, for the industry if you're if you're working. It definitely seems like this is a huge asset on your team. So now I would like to move to our interview with artist Noelle Giddings. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. Yes, we are so excited to have you. I live in a house filled with comic books. Like, it's crazy. We have, like, whatever the little scanner is so that my kids can, like, actually scan their comic books in so that we no can way. keep, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So we can like keep a log because we cannot have duplicates. My daughter will not allow that. She cannot stand that. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into art and specifically into drawing some of the most beloved comic book characters of all time? First of all, let me say it's really great to hear that. I don't know how old your kids are, but that's great that the next generation or this generation is still into comic books. Because when I was a kid, there were mom and pop shops and there aren't anymore. And so I think a lot of the comic book material comes to us, you know, via movies, the big Marvel, you know, splashes. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess graphic novels, but very cool that there are comic books in your house. Oh, yes. Many, um, many, many. <laughs> many, many. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's an, it's an addiction. Your kids oh, yes. are going to be nervous. So they're all about the collection. They have to have the whole collection of whatever yeah, it yeah. is. I went to school at Parsons in Manhattan with a communication design major and illustration major. I actually just kind of fell into comics because I was also waitressing at night uh, while I was in school. And a couple of guys who were pretty well-established comic book artists 
came to the bar to have dinner a couple of nights a week from a studio that they had going a few blocks down. At some point, we all became friendly, and I was doing storyboard work freelance for advertising, and uh, I started sharing some space at that studio, and just sort of an overlap. One thing led to another. Storyboard work is not dissimilar to comic book work. It's, you know, pictures, telling stories in pictures. And, and one thing kind of led to another. One of them kind of introduced me around. There weren't too many girls in the business in those days. This is the 80s. Anyway, and they started bringing me around to Marvel and DC where they worked. And, and I was really interested. And, and I guess it started because one of the guys there, when you draw comic books, you would get the opportunity to draw the cover or paint the cover. And he was colorblind and didn't really have a good sense of painting. And he said, well, I'll draw them and you paint them. And I said, okay. And that's that's kind of how it started. And we kind of became a team that way. And then I got offered to draw a book. The first one I got offered was um, to draw Barbie, the Barbie comic book. And I thought, oh my God, you know, the, <laughs> the girl gets the Barbie book. I wanted Spider-Man and the cool stuff. Um, <laughs> but they, the, the perk was that I could design her clothes, which not being very fashionable, it wasn't perk to me. But that's how it started. And that, that was the intro in the 80s. And, and then I never really did go back to advertising. I just stayed with that. I liked the freelance life. I loved comics. And one thing led to another. I penciled, I inked, I ended up really sticking with coloring and painting. That's where I felt like I could tell the story from beginning to end in the best way. That hits on exactly stuff that Beth and I talk about all the time about relationships. And clearly, for those of you who are listening and thinking like, I'm, I'm a young artist, like, look at, check this out. Noelle actually made a, a connection between her and a customers at, you know, while she was waitressing that became her career. That's pretty amazing, Noelle. Like, how did you possibly bridge that gap between like, honestly, being like their waitress to like, how do you <laughs> move into like, because we have a lot of young people listening and they really want to think about right, how do sure. I, how do I do this? Like, do I need to go to school? Do I, how do I do this so how how do you kind of take that and, and start kind of moving that into towards your work well I, th- I think it's a little bit of of all things the, the education gave me the opportunity to practice right to experience trying this trying that growing my skill level um seeing what's out there how business works in the art world and some exposure but then the actual the exposure that you know i mean i was in new york i was i was making art i had a sense of what i was interested in just my general personality that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a chatterbox. So I end up, you end up talking with people and one thing leads to another, you know, how, what do you do? What do you do? What are you interested in? What can you do? It was a curiosity and of mine and kind of determination to, to try things, you know, I was young and trying to make my way in the art world. And these guys seemed really cool. And yeah. I liked comics and it was like, I, I could try that. I could do that. I think I could do that. What, like I said, it, drawing the storyboard work, which there was a lot of it in the eighties and it paid really well, but I knew I could make a deadline. Very important. Doing the work is one thing, but artists, you know, I don't know, especially in comics and notoriously, my experience is that, you know, you can make something really, really beautiful, the most beautiful piece of the world. You keep waiting for it to be perfect. And if you miss the deadline, you're not going to get the job again. So uh, a, a part of what always worked for me was time management, being skillful enough to do the job and knowing enough to get it done on time. So then how do you take your skills that you have in the world of comic books and, and burst into the scene of cleared art for movies and television shows? How do you possibly make that transition? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I burst or kind of slid over. <laughs> I love um, it. 
Yeah. Beth can talk about that too. But Beth and I were acquaintances. We knew one another and I had been doing comics and Beth was doing what she does best, you know, in the world of television and movies. And I can remember, this was a while ago, I got a call from Beth and I think at the time it was the early days of The Good Wife. Uh, really early on and yeah. she said she had a, there was a character i think not a reoccurring character or one-shot character i mean that's the lingo of 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 how the you know tv works but um who was creating a graphic novel this character and he had a studio that needed to be set up with the work that he was doing for this graphic novel right so you need all kinds of stuff at all left, like like what my studio might look like, or anyone else, any other comic book artist. You have pencils, you have sketches, you have finished pieces, inks, colors, all this stuff. So she remembered I was doing comics, looked me up, said, told me what she was looking for, which ended up being <laughs> that wasn't actually our first job. The first, I uh, no, the first job was when we were doing a certain character that had strange anime big paintings. And that's what made me think of you. It's interesting you're talking about deadlines. I mean, Noel yeah. from day one understood the TV schedule and literally produced what we need practically overnight. And <laughs> yes, it was sometimes. And we got into a groove like when The Good Wife started of. Any script that I got that had any kind of cleared art needs, whether it was artwork to show that the show took place in Chicago, whether it was for the office, for people's homes, whatever we needed from the smallest little detail to sketches, to even art supplies, because for that one character, for his art studio, I literally bought Noel new art supplies and took her old used art supplies because they worked perfectly for us. Yeah, that was hilarious. It, she was like my art prop house, you know, what, whatever came up. And we ended up generating an incredible body of work. And I think you're right. It wasn't the first one, but I do remember it was early enough that I didn't have a lot of experience in that world. And what stood out or what stands out to me is because you said, I need about 75 pieces of art. <laughs> Uh, in like just and 75 said, well, <laughs> yeah no and then it, i was like well when do you need it and she said oh i think it was like four or five days or something you know wh less than a week four and thought, yeah and i was like oh my god but of course you know this is the challenge of as a freelancer you say i can do that yeah yeah no problem of course i hung up and started sweating but and i did it but i also remember in that conversation where and the, this was funny too because just going back to the cleared art you can't he's this character's creating comic book work and you can't hang up batman or anything that exists in the world right that has to be original so there was that but i think in that conversation i was saying i can do that and i can do that and you needed you were talking about some anime or some graffiti thing and it's like oh i can do that i can do anything you need a van gogh you need a basquiat you know <laughs> And I remember hanging up the phone and my daughter was in the room and she said, you just said you could do a Van Gogh. And I, and I was like, uh, yeah, I did. And, you know, I mean, I think at the time I was probably in a little over my head, but actually at this point I really can. I mean, I, 
I'm not a forger, but I can work in any style comfortably. That's amazing. Which is what made it so convenient. It didn't matter what the script called for episode after episode. And in those days, we were doing 22 episodes a year. There was something from Noel, and, and we got ourselves in a routine where we collaborated in a way, this was even before texting and and it was easy to send pictures. You know, this was all by email and talking it through what the need was, what the size, the color, the style, anything that I threw at her, she was able to produce and I would read the script knowing that I had that asset. It's gone on, I don't know, 15 years that we've been collaborating on every TV show, every movie, every commercial. And even for my private clients, you know, when there's a certain space that needs something, I have in mind the style, you know, she comes through with the appropriate piece. We have such a quick shorthand now that, you know, I just like blow up the piece (laughs) of the painting that needs a little tweaking. And she says, I got it. And that's all that goes on between us. Every time I think that there's nothing more original that we can do, we, we pull off some other piece, you know, something else appropriate. It's been such a a fun and interesting challenge. I mean, I have really grown and the, 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 the shorthand that we have, you know, think about how that's evolved. You know, art on a wall is one thing and art on a wall in a, you know, in a television or being shot by the camera is another thing, right? So Beth understood, you know, that a lot of lines would reverberate, right? Or or uh, things would move or things would be too reflective. Or, so in the early days, there was a curve, you know, that I had to learn. And But we never went backward, right? I mean, everything, you know, needs to look like this, feel like this, masculine, feminine, just a, a whole bunch of adjectives that kept making the picture evolve just in the dialogue. We never went backwards. No, we never did. And then, you know, by the time we were clear, I'd know what to do. I think it takes an artist with a certain attitude. Noelle is very clear on what she's doing. And I never feel like I'm insulting her when I say that doesn't work at all. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, that, that was generous. I was just going to say, how are you going to say when it never insults her when I say no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's it. I thought I wanted blue, but now that I see it, no, it sucks. No, <laughs> no I, I, I really, you know, I know that I can explain to her even when I can't find the words uh, you know, my rationale for it. Like, I've been very lucky. The The shows that I've done have been shot so broadly and they're not like regular television shows that can be just talking heads. You know, the, the director of photography and the directors have valued my work in a way where you see everything. But Noelle really understood that concept of, I don't want an actor in front of a painting that's growing out of their head. That and lampshades growing out of actors' heads are my two most <laughs> with my plants pet coming peeves. in a third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, she she really was open to understanding all the technical 
aspects of what works and what doesn't and how I'm framing it. And, you know, even the thickness of the canvas, you know, what kind of frame can I get quickly? And there's so many details that we hashed out between us. And now it's such a shorthand. I, I call and say, I need a piece, painting, or illustration, or I have this space, I give her the size, I tell her the palette, I send her the other details. If it's a, for a private client, I send the samples that we're using in the rest of the apartment. We go back and forth, and like in an hour, we've got it down. It's so great to be able to work with someone who can translate what you need. So, Beth, remind our listeners, because we've talked about it in previous episodes, about the concept of cleared art. But just remind them what it means on a TV show or a movie. Well, it's changed a lot. In the last 10 or 15 years, it's become a point of legal contention. And there are many things on set, paintings, illustrations, uh, there are even wallpaper patterns, carpet patterns, uh, fabric that need to be cleared by the original creator to use. So as Noel was saying, we could never just buy a book or a comic book or see the, the cover of a book. You know, everything has to be cleared. When there's something specific that's scripted, an entire legal and clearance department works on that kind of stuff. But when it's not scripted and it's just artwork hanging, it has to come from a place of clearance and it has to be a legal document that's signed by the artist or by the prop house representing the artist. And I find that it's just easier to create my own. You know, for years we reuse the artwork. An artist will sign over the rights for a season and we use the pieces. And then, of course, I like to use the pieces to tell a story. I mean, we, we made hundreds of Chicago-centric pieces, you know, every recognizable Chicago image. <laughs> we, <laughs> I, I, I was making the library and the Frank Lloyd Wright style. And, I mean, you know, try to be 17, 25 different artists, you know, doing iconic Chicago buildings. It, that was an awesome challenge over quite a few years. Yeah. How did you go about doing that, Noel? So so basically you're told, okay, listen, we really want our audience to understand that we're in Chicago. And so how are we going to do that? So do you just start from there? And then what? how do you just move forward? Well, I mean, I, it would go back to, I'd get my direction from Beth about the sort of the parameters, right? So if it were going to be in a judge's chambers, right? So then it wouldn't, it wouldn't be some sexy looking, you know, a, a kind of artwork. It would be more legal, official, more traditional, regal looking art. So it would depend on where it was going. Uh, if it was in the law offices and they, you know, had a sort of corporate art collection. It could be a little bit more modern, a little more slick, a little. So I, I would take my cues from Beth telling me where it was going and what it needed to feel like, look like. And then and then I have my own, you know, I mean, there's there's artwork out there to peruse through, to get ideas, to shapes and sizes and feel. And then at some point when I had sort of my inspiration art, I'd have to put it away and then just kind of riff on it. Because I couldn't get close to anything that already existed. It has to be original. 
Beth, talk to me a little bit about how much do you think about what you're giving Noel in terms of like visual references or background on the character? How do you decide what to tell her? Do you like give her a ton or do you just sort of like sprinkle it to her and then see what she gives you back? I give her buzzwords like do this size in the Hudson River School style, but take the cows out. You know, um, <laughs> no goats, no, no goats, no cows. <laughs> you know, I mean, someone following our creative conversation, <laughs> they'd be laughing. They would be. I mean, it's very raw. You know, I have to say that it's very helpful that her eye and mine are so aligned. It really helps for me to be able to isolate something and say, that stands out to me. That isn't going to work. That one section of black or that one section of blue, you know, what that has to be taken down or that has to be lightened up. And we literally put the piece together like a puzzle and go over every section of it. And we learn as we go, like now, no matter what frame I'm using, she always paints the sides of the canvas. It works better for me. And, you know, there were technical things like that that we learned, the depth of the canvas and what would last. You know, some of her works on paper we had for years and they didn't do so well in the shop. But it's sort of a new experience. And yet it's a really comfortable old experience since we've been doing it for so long. I'm curious about like when you guys are working on a piece, can you remember a piece that was either super easy, like you said, like three words and then the piece came out like amazing, exactly what you wanted or something where you had to go back and forth, back and forth, like, no, no, doing it wrong. I can't use this. Was there any instances you guys can remember of either like something that went really easily and smoothly or something that was like, oh, my God, it took us 25 times to get that piece right? Well, there was some pieces that we did for an art show in the TV series Run the World the art show itself had a theme of gloves for some reason. We, we had to make a painting that lived within an art show of bad art. And I say all of these things hesitantly because it's such a subjective thing. I am talking to a fine artist. Noelle is a fine artist and I'm using these terms that no fine artist would ever want to hear. But for but set decoration, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get to the point. Um, uh, you know, for set decoration, I'm very blunt about it. And even though we were creating an obscenely awful looking painting that was filled with multicolored rubber gloves, um, <laughs> It couldn't be obscenely bad. You know, there were, uh, like, we went back and forth a lot on what direction the fingers were going in because they did look... We could have um, had them all look like condoms. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's what, exactly what I was thinking when you said all these are like rubber gloves. Exactly. Like, start looking gross yeah. or so, you know. Right. Yeah, well, and Noel, was, what kind of challenge is that to you where something has to look bad? Like, you have to create a bad art piece. Yeah, I don't know. I still thought they were beautiful. So 
Again, I mean, just I, all in the eye of the beholder. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I it, within that the you know the rules of that game, I still wanted them to be great, right? So I don't really bad, bad. I don't know. It, they were strange. They were my, maybe not my first choice of subject to paint if I were painting on my own with a blank canvas in a room. But the challenge of making them great paintings was fun. <laughs> they they were it. they were great and they definitely checked all the boxes but we did like inherently have this issue going back and forth because every time we would fix a finger another one stood out That's so right. it was it kept going it, it, it yeah. kept going you know it just it had a mind of its own and we finally figured out a way that it looked acceptable well, then it becomes like, yeah, throw a pedestal under there. Okay. You yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Another purple glove hanging off the side. Okay. You know. Exactly. That's what it was. And it's harder sometimes to create something character driven that is not necessarily my style or her style. I mean, it's, it's so easy when I say paint this vase of beautiful cabbage roses because I want to hang that painting in, in my bedroom. And that's my style that I really like. I think it's harder to do the real character work, not so much the judges chambers. Although I, I mean, after what I've done 75 judges chambers, you know, I, I tried to give each character something to hang their judges robe on, you know, a, a, a interest, something of interest, like whether they were into Chicago architecture or we did Chicago theater and we did the Ferris wheel and, and all those classic Chicago images, uh, baseball stadiums i mean the whatever baseball stadium probably three or four different times right. you know technically by three or four different artists three or four very different styles in the same stadium that was fun what an amazing talent fun. noelle like how in the world did you possibly hone that to be able to kind of look like all different not just different styles but really like different artists well, you know, it's funny, just to show one of the challenges that I remember, we were thinking of what we've done together. One of them that came to mind, Beth, I don't know if you remember, but it was for Christine Baranski's apartment or home or something was inspired by her or for her. And it was this portrait of a chair. And you said, I have the frame of the chair, the architecture of the chair's English style architecture of the chair but I want the fabric on the chair to be this pattern this particular pattern you had and I don't even know it was a fabric you know and you sent me a swatch of the fabric that needed to be on this chair for this giant I think it was four feet tall uh, it was painting of the chair well a, I didn't have the chair in front of me. And B, if I'm going to paint this fabric on the chair, right, you're going to have the vertical and the horizontal of the back of the chair and the seat of the chair in the perspective when you're looking at the chair. The pattern of these roses, uh, the fabric, need to be in the perspective of yeah. folding back around the cushion of that chair. I didn't have any of that. I, I couldn't even fake it because I didn't have much time. And I and could, have, could you do it overnight? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had to keep picturing. I remember this going, okay, if I'm, it closed my eyes. If I'm looking at the fabric, which I don't have in my hand, and it's turning this way over the cushion, 
what can I see from this point of view? And I just kept painting at it that way. And I, I got it. And I remember thinking, how the heck? Uh, there, there I was going to say, how the hell? How the hell did I do that? <laughs> I don't know, but you do it. You, you know, and she's like, that's great. Send it. And then you get on to the next one. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to pat myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's amazing. So, so you kind of surprise yourself sometimes, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean that, and that's, that's exciting, like it. <laughs> that is still the enjoyable and exciting part of of meeting the challenges. Some roll out relatively easily, and some have been real challenges. You know, you learn and you get better. My skill level at this point is, I really can do it. During some of this downtime from television with the the, the strike and as well as COVID, I've been doing a little bit more private commissions. And I had somebody a few weeks ago. We went to the Met because there's a painting there that she wanted for her living room. And I said, well, <laughs> you know, and that's that's a full-on, can you do this painting? Um, and I said, well, uh-huh. I can't sign it, but if you're just going to have it in your living room, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, this is a six-foot painting in the Met. But that's all of the years of working with Beth and all of these different shows and movies and paintings that I can confidently say, yeah, I can do that. And that's kind of cool. I think it's amazing. Beth, how in the world did you find Noelle? (laughs) (laughs) We met in a pediatrician's office uh, (laughs) that I was finishing up the design of. And we just started talking. And, you know, it's Noelle's personality that shines through. And we became friends. And it was perfect timing, this You know, I I do remember so specifically that it was this one character in The Good Wife, and because of her background in comics, and because that was what was required in the script, that started the association. You know, I, I mean, I could have called another artist, but, you know, she was really in my mind. You know, after she accomplished that, I didn't hesitate to think, okay, she could do this and this, and and she just continued to surprise me. And then we just became a well-oiled machine. The fact that she wasn't with us in the set decorating office for every episode sort of didn't matter. You know, she was a part of my team and is a part of my team because this comes up on every single job I do. Every single job needs something customized in this way. And it's just my most perfect vendor for those needs. It just works out. Even when I am, you know, hard pressed to convince her to pack up all of her art supplies and sell them to me. (laughs) I said, can you just send me your entire studio? And she said, yes. You know, you have to explain to our listeners, why would you choose to do that? I know having done, this is now our fifth season. I know why you did that, but tell to our listeners, why would you, why wouldn't you just use all the new stuff you bought? Well, because the new stuff looks new and I wanted stuff that looked like an artist had used it. I wanted every one of the pencils that had her fingers on them and, and all the pastels and all the dust and all of the used paint palettes and everything. And it was just sort of a good quid pro quo that I just could supply her with all the new stuff. And in turn, we didn't have to do the work. It's very hard work to make something 
look that used. You know, it's it's not just scenic and work. authentically used, yeah. right? I mean, that's authentically the thing. used. It's not just spattering paint on things or. You know, I, we did a, a, another character who was a painter and the same thing. I, I had to create an entire huge barn filled with stuff for his studio. I mean, it takes hours to do that kind of character work. And some people don't realize, you know, it's it's the same thing as building a set. You know, you're going into an empty stage and everything that should feel touched and used and light switches and drawers filled and lived in top layer of life, all the things that make it real, that's what I try to do. And those things for an artist studio are years worth of crusted paint and brushes. And so anyways, she became my go-to source. I mean, we've done that once or twice. You know, I can't can't wipe her out every time. (laughs) In my head, I can think of like the bite marks on like the pencil. That's like the thing that would come to mind of like, like, how do you even do that? Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you need it to be authentic and like someone was really thinking, you know, not just bite on it yourself right yeah no i mean all my i remember putting the you know getting ha- having my daughter i was saying like just grab stuff you know putting in them boxes and she'd say well you don't want to put in these the, my water cans you know i have a clean water can and a slightly dirtier water can and then a really dirty water can that you, you know for your brush right when you're painting and there were two cans and a rice you know a, a plastic jar style that your rice comes in and you know with the brand label still on it and paint running all down the side and pearl was saying yeah she doesn't want those look at them and i said no that's exactly what she wants (laughs) (laughs) right because it would take her hours to try to create anything that looked remotely like that yeah and first you'd have to think of it Yes. And even think about what what is a used artist studio actually look like? And I would have to direct set dressers to do that kind of manual lived in work. You know, it takes a certain type of artist to create that. You know, Noelle did more than the usual cleared art. You know, she really would get into the character and she understands, you know, now it's so easy. I I mean, I, I just text her and send her pictures and you know she knows where the piece is going to go she knows what's going to live around it I I think it also kept just the topic of art you know I I studied art history in college and it just keeps the topic of of art in my work in any way you know references we were doing a geometric painting for clients and what I wanted it to look like I mean she just gets all my as crazy as they are, all my references. <laughs> you know, I was going to, I was thinking of that before and, and our lingo and the language and you were saying how, how um, you were asking me about how I come up with ideas and we both have art history backgrounds. And so having a knowledge base of the history of art means if we're describing using adjectives for this style of painting, I can think, you know, of Brock or, you know, or, or, or Mondrian, or then if we're going into the Hudson River School or Thomas Cole. So we have a visual library, you know, of art history in our heads that can also help to communicate in that language. We've definitely talked about this, right? Beth? Yeah, about, I mean, like, I, especially I, I, for younger people to like make sure you know your history yes, so that yes. references mean something to you. It's true of the 
history and styles of window decor. And it's true of the periods and especially when you look at at movies now i mean look noel started with barbie you know look where it is now certain styles are just timeless i remember having this greeting card an image on a greeting card that i had for many 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 years it was a mother holding a child at the ocean. And all of a sudden we had an episode where I was doing a fertility clinic and I sent the image to Noelle and said, can you riff off this for a wall that we were building? And it really required like a, a main piece of art as simple as that is. It, it's really exciting for me to be able to translate these images that I've had in my head for so many years from different, you know, sources, sources. And all of a sudden, oh, there it is on one of my sets. And it came to you life. Know, How satisfying that must be. Right? It is really meaningful. That's a, like, so Noelle's like your sorcerer, man. You like give yeah. her some info. She like conjures <laughs> it up. Literally. That's so cool. Yeah. I have to ask both of you guys. Um, this was actually a Beth question, but I'm going to ask both of you guys this. I know we have a lot of listeners right now who are painting in their bedrooms, they're drawing their favorite characters, maybe they're even creating their own, you know, in, in their imagination, and they're really hoping to become an artist in this world of either comic books or in Hollywood. And they're really trying to think like how it seems so daunting to try to break into either of these businesses. What advice would each of you guys give that person who's listening right now? I think there is something really important about learning the history of art and being very knowledgeable in what you do. I think in the world now, everything is being canceled. And I see nothing but importance in looking backwards. So I would do a lot of studying, not just painting or printmaking or ceramics, comic books, I would study art history, different styles, because you need to develop that vocabulary. You need to be able to communicate with the people that you're going to work for on a level that is intelligent and knowledgeable. And I think that's the most important thing. I do think getting your work out there in whatever way you can, having a website and making things available. Uh, you know, as I've said before, I get hundreds of artists send me work and I'm always looking at things and I'm always looking at visual references. And in a good way, I think Instagram has made that something that's in front of our eyes all the time. And it's led to some really interesting purchases I've made. I've found a lot of artists and artisans, furniture makers and uh, lighting designers and really interesting pieces. So I'd say get your work out there. Noelle, what would you add to that? Yeah. Well, it's funny, I'm listening to Beth and I'm thinking about the ways it's changed, how to get your work out there, how to be seen, how to market yourself from when I started till now. There weren't even computers really then. <laughs> so the Instagram and the ways that artists can self-promote, it's just grown enormously. But maybe some of the parts of how to get somewhere or how to be successful or how to get work is the same or there's still carryover, which, you know, for me, getting started just meant 
I mean, we talked about not having an ego earlier. I always wanted to work. I wanted to be a working artist. I needed to get paid. I needed to, you know, make a living. So that meant whatever I could do. One of the first jobs right out of school was doing illustrations and some graphic design for an Orthodox Jewish newspaper. And it was me and four Orthodox men. They were didn't want to pay very much, but they needed the work and I, you know, needed what they needed and I could do it. And I didn't have high demand for salary because I just wanted to work. And that was my first experience in getting going. And I did restaurant logos and illustrate. I was sort of willing to volunteer and you know, probably give away in the early days, but just to get exposure and practice making things. And my whole career has kind of been one thing leading to another. I mean, advertising, you know, getting storyboard work was freelance and, and then sort of fell into comics a little bit, but loved it and worked hard at it. And that led to poster designs and some children's books. And it was just a lot of, I'll try that. I'll keep practicing. I'll keep working. And I can't overemphasize the importance of making your deadlines, you know, not being late, being reliable, being a reliable artist in the world is really valuable. It's one, one thing I say to Noelle all the time is I say yes to everything. I just yeah. always say yes, because inevitably something drops out and something happens. And as an artist, we're freelancers and you just keep saying it's possible. You know, Noelle was maybe daunted, but she never showed that to me, you know. Um, <laughs> Had lost a lot of sleep in those early days after I, after I said I could do anything. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that was just the kind of thing I needed to hear, you know, because... Okay, someone tells you on, well, she wasn't even on my team, but someone tells you they can do anything. I want them to be on my team. And then when they're on my team and I don't have to worry about them because they're reliable, that's perfection. That's, yeah. that's just what I need. I did learn, actually, I will say that's true. I did learn how to be a good employee. That is to say, in the early days, if I started asking a lot of questions or I was nervous about this or I started wanting reassurance from my employer, Beth, I quickly learned that she didn't have time for that to art direct every last little thing or make me feel better about it as an artist. You know, I would say, how does this look? How does this look? She just <laughs> wanted what she wanted, what I could do and do it. Um, Thank you for and, understanding that. It yeah. sounds like the message of like, don't take it personal, like get the job oh, yeah. done. hundred percent. And so I learned, you know, I wasn't going to get little pats on the back or help along the way. I had to be confident. Okay, just do it. Give her what she asked for. Just do it. And that was a learning process. She she did <laughs> learn that the time that I was spending with her, I had every other aspect of my job. It required time also. I was prepping an episode. I was shooting an episode. I was running a crew. I was dressing a set. I was going on a location scout. I was trying to acquire everything I needed for the set. And it was very helpful to me when it turned and she realized I'm not focusing 100% on the art because I can't. That was a part of what I had to do. And when she got the whole way in which the film business worked, the time constraints and the pressure, that really made a big difference for me. And me too. Can I ask you guys, as two women in this really male-dominated careers that you guys have both chosen, how do you feel like you manage to sort of make sure your name is known, still kind of like not just get buried under, you know, other people taking credit for your work or anything like that? How do you basically stay strong and stay confident being in more of the minority? 
I mean, I'm freelance, you know, so I don't have that kind of exposure, you know, obvious in my face kind of the difference between me and, and them, say, as I think Beth does. I mean, you have a whole set, all different parts of that. So I'm freelance, which means, you know, for 30 years, I'm working in my studio. I actually, that's not completely true. I did start help start at the, uh, I was a color editor for a company called Milestone Media, um, a comic book company dedicated to producing multicultural comics um, with DC as our distributor in uh, the early 90s. And that was all men. But I think I was appreciated uh, for the insights that I had. Maybe I also have a strong personality. I don't think, I don't remember feeling like it worked against me. Maybe just because the whole comic book world is filled with nerds and they liked having a girl around. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure. I think, you know, you got to be sort of tough. But I think I, I started before it became an issue. It just was you know, there were very few women department heads and there were very few women who had an entire department of men working for them. And it never really became a thing until almost more recently, it seems to have this new life. I mean, I'm really invested in my old ways, you know, so I almost think it's more about adapting now than when I started, I just was very driven and I just plowed through, you know, one foot in front of another. And I just always said yes. And many times that was to my benefit. Sometimes it was to my detriment. <laughs> I haven't slept much in the last 25 years, but, I, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I've I, observed you driven. guys too. I would say you, you feel like you always thought the work would speak for you. Yes. Too. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I'm hearing so much the same of, of, from both of you, the, the professionalism, the be on time, the, you know, know what your employer is looking for and, and deliver, say yeah. yes and really deliver. I mean, that that's not a guy girl thing. That's just be a professional exactly. person exactly. who's ready I, to show up and be prepared. You know, I, I think it's that we sort of have a similar philosophy in life on everything, parenting, relationships, art, you know, and and I think that helped inform our quick kind of communication. But it is really something to align with and find someone who I feel sees what I see, because that's the hard thing for me within a crew or, you know, it's, you know, rare that uh, someone gets me and really understands why I have to move a certain piece of furniture, lamp, or, you know, just the visuals. And Noelle really contributed to how I want my work to be visually, how I want it to be seen. And I think that was something that really bonded us. Well, we're both storytellers, right? I yeah. Mean, I paint pictures, you create worlds, right? The whole, the 3D, the atmosphere, the, the 3D of it. But ultimately, whether I'm doing a children's book or a comic book or a piece of art that's part of that story, you know, you get a script and that script tells you right. what it needs. And your your job is to tell that story, right? It's it's a intellectual, emotional, you know, you use the tools you have to share that story to the audience. You have to convince them, right? So that's the job. 
I know that our producer, Mike, will not allow this interview to end without me asking you about some of your other projects, Noel, because he is honed in so much on your Prince comic book and wants to know everything about it. How did it become a Prince comic book? How did you get involved with it? Tell us about it. Prince? Prince in particular? Yeah, that was, that's what he um, wants to know. <laughs> that was one of the... Uh, so one of the guys who I started with in the earliest days when I was working at a restaurant on 3rd Avenue and 33rd Street. One of those guys named Dennis Cowan. He's still a comic book artist. You can look him up. He's a big deal. We've been friends all these years. When I started working with them and at their studio, and we gave it a name called Studio X, he was very involved in... I, I mean, we were very involved in the music scene, and I don't know how that, where that connection started, but I think it was just Prince's people contacted Dennis to ask about or explore the idea of a comic book. And we were already a team on a lot of things. We'd done some Batman covers together and Deathlock and a bunch of other characters for both Marvel and DC. I was already well into comics at that point, but we all still worked together. And when he got that Prince offer and started drawing it out, and I started uh, working out the color palette for it. And we, we ended up doing that project together. And it was great. It's still uh, something I'm really proud of because I was a big Prince fan. Big. It was probably the only person I hadn't, that I was really regretful having not gotten to see live. The stuff on your website is beautiful and getting a chance to see um, the Prince cover on your social media was amazing. I know Mike is drooling over it. <laughs> Thank you. He's loving it, loving it. Tell us what you're up to now and where we can find your work besides doing more commissions for me and uh, whatever job I have in the offing. Where can people find you? Well, I'm on Instagram. My whole name, Noelle Giddings. Um, I have Instagram I'm a little bit lazy with because I haven't tended to get work that way, but I'm busy. So it's I probably have to get busier with it. That's probably my generation, right? We were talking about that earlier. But I have a website, again, my name. So for private commissions, it's easy enough to find me through there. Just direct message me. Honestly, if you Google my name, pages and pages of me come up. I'm even a Wikipedia, oddly. I love it. You're a Wikipedia, Noelle. Did you ever expect that to happen no, in your right? life? No. <laughs> were you sitting no. around being like, I hope I could be a Wikipedia someday? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I love so it. I've, I've been doing a lot of private commissions um, from paintings in the Met to portraits. I mean, I, I'm a pretty solid and, and I enjoy, you know, painting portraits, but I'm doing a children's book right now, too, for a writer and that Abrams may be looking at in a week or two. So I've diversified a little while the writer strike has been on, right? So I go back to doing some other things, which I enjoy all of it. I have some stuff in a gallery, the RJD Gallery in Michigan, can Google that. I during COVID would had some downtime. I did some fine art, which I don't always get a chance to do. And I don't I guess I don't have to say fine art, but my own art, comic book work that I did thirty years ago, blown up four by five foot paintings. They're kind of fabulous, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, with all the they are fabulous, Noel. We know they are, right? Thank Not you. kind of fabulous. They are fabulous. It's the, you know, it's the, this is the language that we use pre-computer. So this was the way comics were colored back in the day, you know, thirty years ago, with all of the codes on there. In fact, there was a four-page article about them in American Art Collector in July. So they're they're out there with the gallery and can be seen on Artsy as well as the RJD Gallery and. I keep pretty busy. 
It sounds like it sounds like and I love that you've diversified so much. It sounds like do you have like a favorite section that you work in, whether it be like books or whether it be comic books or whether it be being on, a you know, working with Hollywood and, and different TV and movie shows? I said movie shows. That was I know, weird. It's gonna sound and movies. <laughs> I know it's going to sound sappy, but I really like it all. I mean, I still do comics from time to time. I just did some Al Capone covers a couple of weeks ago. I particularly love the television work and probably especially with Beth because of the way we communicate is so clear and so direct. And I know, I just feel so confident about, Oh, I know what to do. I'm off and running. And the challenges of it being a different painting every time it's exciting. It's exciting, you know, at my age to have painted, you know, million paintings and still start at the beginning and go, okay, here, here you go. You know, and I get nervous Maybe it's not good enough. Maybe it's not done yet. Maybe like every artist, but it's very fulfilling. It's very satisfying. And I keep getting better. That sounds like you, Beth. It sounds like the same words that I hear for yes. you. Yes. Getting better and better. And, and, and I think that y'all's message of just be professional, get there, expect to have blunt instructions. <laughs> if you're going <laughs> to yeah. work with Beth or in the industry in general, like expect it to be like no pats on the back. Just get your job done. That's the ex- expectation on you. I think that's so important for our listeners. Yeah, it's the ego of the artist. An artist, you can get insecure, right? And you want to be told it's good or that's good or so far so good. And you have to kind of leave that out of professional relationships and step back into the confidence side of you that says, I know what to do. You know, I can do this. I'm doing it and give them what they want. And after 500 pieces, you know, you're there. You're there. So it only takes that. Thank you so much, Noelle, for joining us. You can get information on Noelle on her website, www.noellegiddings.com, or her Instagram at noelle.giddings. Noelle, we're so lucky to have gotten to talk to you today, and we know that you will probably be open for follow-ups if any of our listeners have questions for you. Would you be open to taking some of their questions and giving them a little advice if they need? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. It's, been, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Was it was awesome meeting you. Thank you so much for coming on. And you guys will have a lot more info about Noelle as we continue to talk with me and Beth. Thank you so much, Noelle. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. A big thank you to Noelle for making time to speak with us. It's been a real pleasure for me to be able to bring her on to really any job that I'm working on in a different capacity and and creating with her and collaborating with her throughout the years. Listeners, please make sure you head over to noellegiddings.com to see the history of Noelle's amazing body of work and follow her on Instagram at noelle.giddings. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, Beth, for being such a wonderful co-host. Thank you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to your home at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. It helps a lot in promotion of the show. Five stars, people. And if you leave us a five-star review, we are happy to read it on the air. And I have a five-star review to read you guys today from Bay W. Wise words about creating worlds. I love this. From films and TV shows to your own backdrop, Beth navigates the wild world of making spaces come to life. She's helped me and other listeners work out thorny decorating problems to make vivid our places. Wonderful listen. Thank you so much, Bay W. We love it. We love that you're listening. And please share with your friends and go ahead and tell them, leave some five-star ratings. Thank you guys so much for listening.
Decorating the set from Hollywood to your home is an original Pod Clubhouse production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.